Hey, Brad. Yes. Do you know how we fund the program going off track? I know exactly how we fund it. There's one source of income for us, and that is patreon.com slash going off track, where our loving patrons give us money and we give them bonuses. Patreon, stop making up words. (laughs) It's a great place. We do a weekly Thursday night fireside chat. Brad takes all the embarrassing things I say in podcasts that he doesn't put into podcasts and puts it on the Patreon. Funny pictures of Brad in the 90s, usually naked or wearing a wristband. Please sign up. Brad, what's the address? Patreon.com slash going off track. Rolling, baby. Have you ever vomited on stage? No, unbelievably not. Although it's not unbelievable. I don't vomit a lot. (laughs) I had one time where I, you know, it wasn't from drinking either. Actually, I think it was from being like a fat shit. Like I like ate something bad and drank too much something before I went on stage. And I literally like puked on my arm (laughs) like 30 (laughs) seconds into the song. But... (laughs) Dedicated drummer I am. Didn't didn't even miss a beat, right? Didn't miss a beat. Yes. I just played with hot vomit on <laughs> my left on my left arm the whole time. Finished the song. I said, please give me a moment. And uh and and continued on. Yeah. I'm glad that doesn't happen too often though, because it was gross. Hot vomit. Is that hot vomit? Is that a band? That's Could a be these band. days. Yeah, it's like a New York New hot. York 70s style, you know, like we're young, but we shop at Trash and Vaudeville kind of band, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that sort of thing. Well, it's funny. What's we up? Ta- we're hot vomit. <laughs> we talked. We were, we talk, in this podcast, we talk about uh, the Pride Parade. And, like, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday who came through there the day after the parade was over. And they talked about all the dried hot vomit on the street. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know how it works in New York City. It's like, if there's a parade... Everybody's getting drunk in New York City. It's yeah. not like it's not like you know, like I've partied on fucking Puerto Rican Day Parade before for just no reason. It's just, yeah. it's just how it goes. You might as well. <laughs> you better get with it. I know. You know what I love that came up in this interview is bloodlet. Yeah, oh. I could tell you like that. I do. They're one of these bands. I mean, if you're from my scene, like Bloodlet's not like a deep cut. You know, they were yeah. they were on Victory Records. They were like one of the, you know, bigger heavy hardcore bands at the time. But I think it was kind of hard to delineate what was going on a little bit at that time. Everybody was doing different stuff and almost like paving the way for what, you know, newer hardcore was going to be. And I think we didn't realize just how like, brutally good and dark bloodlet was like these really well-constructed songs. And they like were one of the first bands who took that turn to like, like uh, Jesse was saying into real kind of broody, stony, you know, metal stuff. And I actually, they were one of those bands that kind of felt just uh, possessed a little. Right. And then I had one of the weirdest nights seeing that band because there was a few shows that got done in New Jersey. I even did one there at a place called The Daily Grind in Browns Mills, New Jersey, which was like southwest New Jersey, straight Jersey Devil territory. It's oh, like wow. where the Jersey Devil is from. They call it the 
Pine Barrens, is that what it is? It is, like straight right. piney shit, yeah. Right. And uh, went down to a show there, Bloodlet played, and it's this like wildly under-attended show. There's probably like 25 people there in the middle of nowhere at this random coffee shop. And the whole vibe was just eerie because it was like, you're at a Bloodlet show anyway, and then like, you're in this weird place. I kind of felt like the Jersey Devil and like creepy <laughs> Pine Barren shit going on. And of course, part and parcel to the story, within like 30 seconds of Bloodlet playing, like this tiny pit breaks out and some cat just breaks his leg. <laughs> like literally broke his leg in like the middle of the band. And it's not oh like some God. giant show where security is coming. To- There's just some kid screaming on the floor with a broken <laughs> leg. There's like 20 of us there, you know, like where I'm like, is there even a hospital in this town? Like, like, I don't even know what happens now. Just a very bizarre night. But uh that's regardless intense. people should go out there and see see bloodlet this yeah. actually led me to a question for you because i got in trouble in school for wearing a bloodlet shirt <laughs> and i was wondering i have a couple that i got in trouble for i was wondering if you ever got in trouble for wearing a shirt at school and which one was it uh, do you ever get nailed I had a really psychotic teacher in middle school who like was just sort of this possessed evil guy who fucking hated me. Mm. And I think I had like a wife beater. He used to give me shit for that. I don't know why he thought that was so weird, but I would wear wife beaters and he would say that I was like wearing women's shirts or something. He was a real douche. <laughs> he would oh, not, pretty bizarre. he would not have made it into, into, in today's world. That's a bizarre thing to say to a, yeah. to a young student. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had long hair too. So, Oh, call how me, progressive. Call me yeah, I, <laughs> I only got in trouble a few times. I got in trouble for that bloodlet shirt just cause someone was like, what is bloodlet? Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, Oh my God, you're insane. <laughs> but then the funniest one was I had gone to see rush for the second time with my mom and we went to the uh, counterparts tour and the shirt for the counterparts tour was like uh, a screw going into a bolt, you know, like <laughs> yeah. literally like just this really innocuous image. I had this Spanish teacher named Mrs. Cough, very dramatic woman. We were very close then we were very far apart by the end of the year. She used to say, Benny, I bend over backwards for you, baby, and you punch me in the heart. <laughs> like this is my like eighth grade Spanish teacher saying shit like that. It was very dramatic. And she took offense to this rush shirt saying there is a sexual innuendo in the screw going into the bolt, which I didn't even realize right. you know, would, would right. be a problem. So I, I remember I had to, I got censored on that one. I think my mom was pretty pissed about that. That's funny, dude. Then a couple of years later, I was wearing my despair hoodie, you know, as we brought Scott Vogel in here a few months ago and, mm-hmm. and it said, I hope you fucking drown in your pattern <laughs> life. <laughs> that was one of those ones I knew. I was like going into school trolling a little. I was like, all right, uh, how long is this going to take? You know, it didn't take long. Couple, <laughs> couple classes. I was, and they, they duct taped it. Really? Yeah. I, I was like, yo, I'm like, I don't have any other clothes. What do I come with? Change of clothes to school? Like, what do you want from me? And they're like, well, here's duct tape. <laughs> they literally like made me duct tape my sweatshirt. I don't know. I feel like public school, it's kind of anything goes. You got to really work hard to offend somebody, I think. But mm. At least that's I how know. I felt that it was. Well, yeah, but you went to high school in like 72. <laughs> <when> people, 
people weren't as offended about things. Summer of love. Yeah, remember, I I went to high school in the late 90s. Things things were different, you know? You guys were all just doing J's and Quaaludes and listening to Steely Dan. Yeah, I don't even remember. I I guess because I was there. We were doing post-rock war fallout. I would like to do a Quaalude. I've never even... Like Quaaludes, that's one of those things they don't even make them anymore, right? Oh, no, no. There's like six Quaaludes in storage somewhere that someone's <laughs> saving. That's why, like, if it shows up at any point in my life, like, I have to take it. Oh, yeah. I would love yeah, to. It like, sounds like, like a blast taking Quaaludes. It's like seeing a unicorn. It's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, there's a unicorn. Do you want to ride? <laughs> sure. Hell yeah. Sure, I'll take a unicorn ride because this isn't going to happen very often. That's kind of <laughs> the way I feel if a Quaalude ever turns up. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah. Anyway, I don't want to, you know, some of my family is getting old enough to listen to podcasts and stuff. So I should probably, should probably chill out on that. Don't stuff. do drugs. Don't do drugs, everyone, especially Quaaludes, even though, I mean, they look like so much fun. Even Jesus. though they're unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, listen to this interview with Jesse. We yeah. didn't, you know, he's out here promoting the new Times of Grace record. We didn't talk about it that much because <laughs> we going had off a track. <laughs> great conversation about a bunch of other stuff. So please get into it and enjoy. It's going off track. What did I miss? What did I miss? He said he went out last night for the first time and uh it's weird, right? Yeah, I did the whole did the whole not sleep in New York thing and and then uh yeah, it was great. It was really fun. Saw some old friends, saw a comedy show, went to a metal bar, watched some dancers. And then uh, the next day, went to the East Village, went down to the old A7 and Niagara, saw the Joe Strummer mural and just kind of did the whole East Village thing and trash in vaudeville. So, yeah, I'm I'm like the, the punk in me is very happy and the human in me is fulfilled. So I feel great, man. That's intense. That's awesome. My my wife did a good like six or seven years working at trash and vaudeville. Oh, right on, dude. Yeah. The spirit is still alive, but man, it's definitely different without Jimmy, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's like uh, it's like Metallica without James Hetfield or something, you know? Yeah, but I'm still glad to see that shop open and the fact that they're supporting, you know, punks and young kids coming in and getting all fascinated and getting that bright-eyed look when they see bondage pants for the first time. I love that kind of shit. Oh, me too. The yeah, old New York yeah. is still a little bit alive through that kind of stuff, you know? I think the freaks still got a safe place to go in New York a little bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then it, uh, the Pride Parade was that morning. So uh-huh. um, when I got out of the comedy show, we were just kind of weaving through uh, the West Village. And it just it's so much fun, first of all, that that happens. And then to come out of this pandemic and see like a raging party for blocks and blocks and blocks. <laughs> it's weird. The freaks are still uh, freaks, geeks and weirdos and outcasts are still very comfortable and alive and well in New York City, and that warms my heart. Oh, I think it's been increased a bit. I think the freaks are getting freakier, and the norms have abandoned the city for the fucking suburbs, dude. <laughs> and I say good riddance, although I am one of the... I guess I I, I abandoned the city. I, I live up in the Catskills now, but... So, Jesse, yeah, I was asking... Uh, what it took to like readjust and what, you, what you've had to do to deal with like the anxiety of getting back into social situations like that. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a super touchy feely. I'm the guy that'll hug you when I first meet you. I love people. <laughs> the, the closeness of is I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not, I don't know. 
maybe to a um a um what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe to a fault. I'm just not afraid of I'm I feel like we're in a good spot right now with everything. So I wasn't afraid of being near people. Cool. But just for me it was the pace of that city. When you've been mm-hmm. away from it for that long. And look, I went down there during the pandemic to visit uh, certain people. Um, and I felt the energy just, it was just a weird energy. And to go back yeah. into the city like I did, you know, the past two days and see that city alive again. And the Pride Parade had just finished and people were partying and happy and loud music everywhere. The smell of stale beer and, <laughs> you know, garbage in the air. And it was hot. And it was, it was magical, dude. Let's be real. Awesome. And, um, yeah, so I just adjusting to the anxiety is definitely a little tough because I was late to everything because traffic was bad again. Right. So as yeah. much as it causes me anxiety, it made me really happy. And as I was driving home back up here to Woodstock where I live, and my girlfriend, you know, fell asleep because we hadn't really slept. We kind of just went through the whole night, and we're not those. We're we're the people that enter bed by ten. Right, we don't yeah. we don't we really don't drink much during the week at all anymore. Like we're both pretty healthy. You know, she's a full on vegan. I'm, I'm like adjusting. I still eat a little bit of seafood, but like we're really healthy lifestyle type people now. Um, awesome. And to jump back into that city and then just to go wild, we went nuts, you know, doing shots and like stuff we haven't done in a long time. That's it awesome. was so much fun. It was so much fun. And I was, as I was driving home and I actually put on the punk and disorderly comp, that was one of the first punk comps I got when I was a kid. Ah, yeah. You know, it's got like the exploited on it and yeah. you know, GBH. I was listening to that on the way home as she was like sleeping in the in the car next to me and I couldn't stop smiling. I was like, New York is back. This <laughs> oh, is that's like, so awesome. We're on the other side of this, I feel like, and I could feel it. You can see it in people's faces and you can feel it. And yeah, that was I, magical for me. I think you're right. It was amazing around here how like two weeks ago, I'm like, oh shit, I got to add time to get everywhere again. I kind of got used to no traffic. Yeah. It was sort yeah. of like a totally. strange upside to all this. Yeah, um, and it's funny. Like I got annoyed initially, and I'm like, "Fuck me for getting annoyed. This is great. Right. Yeah, <laughs> this is so, great. <laughs> it's so quick. Yeah, you could go back to it, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like you get in that because that city does that. It you either sink or swim there, and right. it's you know going down there during the the pandemic that that wasn't there at all. It was sad. It was weird. People were just like, you know, you can't help it. You you don't want to get near anyone. You're like, ah, what's going on? Oh, it on? was bizarre. The city was. I think I think New York City might I mean it's hard to you know maybe paint that picture to people not from around here but there was something truly kind of like frightening and post apocalyptic yes. about New York the last And year. seeing empty streets like I yeah. I'll never forget that down in parts of the city where you if you try to cross the street on a green light you be careful and that was like dude I was standing in the middle of the street like whoa whoa yeah. this is nuts yeah like some 28 days later shit you yes. just wake up and it's all empty and that shit is now officially gone I heard people swearing at each other honking horns <laughs> that's sort of like the thing that that people sort of think is anger with New Yorkers is just it's the norm it's like oh yeah that's having fun yeah, yeah. just don't be a dumbass like I know. T- stupidity is not tolerated you get in, you order your shit, get the fuck out of the way and get on your way. And if you order something to eat and you can't just walk, walk and eat, shut the yeah. fuck up, go. <laughs> I, it's funny. It's funny. But that is 100% back now. I've, I've tried to explain to people that in New York, because I've been in a car with people not from New York when you get in one of those. Yeah. And they're like um, shocked. <laughs> well, one of those like uh, car standoffs, you know, when oh, like yes, yes. two cars are trying to get in one lane and you're each like, <laughs> fuck, like half a centimeter away from each other. Neither of you are looking at each other. Yeah, yeah. There's kind of just like this sort of like, yo, I see you. I see you. We're doing this. Yeah. And and it's like 
but when you've been in traffic for like two and a half hours and you've been doing it for like 20 straight years, this is a game. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> it's, it's not personal. It's no. you, you go or you don't go. And if you don't go, you're an idiot. Or if you try to let me go, you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, uh, I actually stopped cause you know, up here, everyone is so polite. Like right. we stop for pedestrians. We wait every single crosswalk in Woodstock. You are going to wait. And that's the only traffic we have is people being polite. So right. like that, that kicked in. I saw a bike courier doing his thing and I was like, Oh, I'm going to stop and let this guy go. Oh, you probably got he, honked at. So he, bad. he stopped. No, he stopped, <laughs> did the whole stand on my pedal thing and looked at me like, what are you an asshole? And he's like, why are you stopping for yeah. me? You idiot, me. drive. You I'm navigating around. Yeah. yeah, I'm navigating around you, idiot. And I was like, oh my God, I'm that guy right now. <laughs> oh, that's so funny, man. So how long have you been up in uh in the Catskills? Uh just over two years now. Um Yeah, I was just tired of Brooklyn. I was so tired of the the vibe, the energy. I, my mental health was suffering. I'd come home from tour to to just want to be quiet. And you know, where I lived in Crown Heights was just so loud. Just yeah. car horns, you know, just everything that you know about the city. And the, the apartment I was living in had paper wall thin walls. And I'm paying like $2,300 a month for this small one bed. It's just miserable, miserable yeah. shit. Just not worth it. Um, and I had been coming up to the Catskills for the greater part of 15 years to um, just find my solace, to recover from a tour or just if I'm, I need to reconnect to nature. I'm one of those people, if I don't have nature in my life, I start to lose it. I need to go yeah. where there's no human I feel and like. just sit and listen to a river or the wind. So I made that decision of like the place I'm spending all this money on getting Airbnbs and doing this right. thing. Yeah. Why am I not just living there? Sure. So I made the move. And at the time too, which was just serendipitous, um, my relationship of 18 years totally fell apart. And wow. I, I went through a very awkward, strange divorce days before loading the moving truck up that was wow. essentially supposed to be for the two of us and uh, moving here. And that first week was a little tough, but f for a long story short, it was a very necessary thing to happen. It was liberating for me to get away from a person who wasn't meant for me. After 18 years, it was so obvious. We were just not, that wasn't going to happen anymore. And since then, since then I found a lot of peace. Like I am a completely different person. Wow. W waking up and drawing the curtains and seeing deer grazing in the field and yeah. birds chirping and occasionally a bear or a fox. Um, I couldn't be happier. I love it up here. Huh. It's interesting. Now, what it like, is it, you know, I, I, I say this from a place where I, I literally just did the same exact thing you're talking about. Um, now, like, did you have a relationship, uh, prior where you like, um, or did when you get up there is when you really started hiking and kind of connecting to the outdoors like that? Oh, no, I grew, I grew up. So I grew up in the city of very, I would say very poor to moderately poor family. We didn't do family vacations or anything like that. We did none of that. The only thing we would do, because my father um, was very much an ex-hippie uh, turned minister, which is a whole bunch of story and baggage wow. that uh, yeah. will unravel at some point on my podcast, my personal podcast. I just interviewed my dad for my oh, podcast. Wow. So that was, he tells his story. So the one thing I got to say with him is like, as poor as we were, he always made a way to bring us to the mountains or to go camping. Oh, cool. So every summer we would go, we lived in Rhode Island at the time. We would go up to the white mountains. I grew up climbing, you know, the presidential range up there. And I, I fell in love with nature from the age of, I remember seeing my first like 
Milky Way at like four and a half, five years old. My first oh. memory of seeing a, a blanket of stars. And ever since then, sitting by a fire, stars, camping, rivers, like that's who I am. Right. So I already had all that. And actually the reason I moved to exactly where I moved to is because one of my favorite waterfalls, Catterskill Falls, is 20 minutes from my house. My favorite um, rail trail where I love to ride my bicycle is 15 minutes away. So I'm basically in the Mecca of all the things that I love. And my house is, uh, well, the house I'm renting, I should say, is uh, about 500 feet from a beautiful river that I can jump in and swim, which after this interview, I'm going straight over there in between ah, the interviews to, to go jump in the river. I'm so jealous. I'm sitting it's, down here dude, on that Lower East Side sweating my balls oh, off. Oh, dude, yeah. and it was, it's hot down there. I was just there. It's so hot. Sorry. Jump in the Hudson, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, thank wow, you. Cool over, off, pal. Go over to Tompkins Square Park and, and, and jump some water on you. And yeah, get there. a fountain. Hey, yeah. Fuck, a fountain fuck you country okay. hippies, okay? <laughs> <laughs> It's great though, but another thing that I will say is wonderful about living up here, and yes, I did say wonderful, uh, is is having my friends from the city come up here, which is happening right. um, for my birthday coming up next week. I've got my friends. We're all going to go tubing down the uh, Esopus Fuck River yeah. here, where you can park a car on right. one, at the end of it and then drive the other car, and then you can float down the river for a good hour and a half or so. Love it. And we bring a little cooler with beers and just hang out and, and just coast down the river. And the rapids get just enough to get you excited, but then you go through these calm patches. And that's like, people ask me what I want to do for my birthday. I'm like, nothing. That's what I yeah, want to do. Right. I want to sit in a tube. I want to hang with my friends. Then after that, we're going to light a fire and like grill out some veggie dogs and burgers or whatever. And like, that's it. That's, uh, that's all I want for my birthday. Cause that's sounds, the shit. I, I love like that shit. Sounds like you're living the life. Yeah. Love it, dude. Yeah. And that's the shit I used to do for vacation. Now it's part of my daily life. That's <laughs> great. You yeah. think like, I wonder, you know, now that you're saying this, like, you know, of course, we're all, you know, products of our surroundings to a certain point. And, you know, our art is, you know, uh, influenced by our surroundings. Do you think like moving forward, there's a part of the cat skills and a part of this new life that's going to like kind of wind up in your music? Oh, it already has. During the pandemic, I put out a ambient EP nice. uh, called The Way Back Within. It's on Bandcamp for free. You pay what you can. Uh, and I made it specifically, it's meditative music. Uh, it's written to calm and soothe. And one song is actually intentionally made to fall asleep. And I fell asleep while writing it. No joke. <laughs> well, that's effective. Uh, yeah. And it's all it's all directly influenced by nature um, and the cool. Catskill sound recordings from rivers over here. And uh, it even made its way into the New Times of Grace. There's definitely stuff that I wrote by the river here, the stuff I wrote deep in the woods and the imagery that you'll see as this album like you know starts to come out it's it's all nature based and huh. it's even affected me the you know i'm wearing more turquoise now my hair is getting longer like it's totally <laughs> affecting every part of me i'm totally becoming that sort of like it, it you can't help it you can't help it i mean nature i saw one of your youtube videos and i'm like between this like nice thick you know red flannel coat yeah, and the beanie totally. and your very yeah. soft soothing voice i'm like jesus jesse's like you know, a couple years away from going like Rick Rubin style or something. You know like what? Yeah, I I think I'd be a little more kept because I, I, I'm like super OCD with my beard. I won't let <laughs> I won't let it get out to that proportion. Right, I, tr right. I trim it, but yeah, man, I've been I've <laughs> I'm in a definitely more meditative spot. I, you know, I'll take moments where I go out and just sit still in nature, and it's definitely was always a part of me, but now it's definitely becoming a much bigger part of my personality. Right, and I'm I'm happy, like I'm happier than I've ever been. And that's, the, that's definitely the direction I'm going. Um, 
and I, it is going to affect my music because I've been working on, I've been working on solo stuff, which everybody says that. I don't know if I ever see the light of day, but it's all piano <laughs> ballad driven kind of nature soundscape stuff. So cool. I'm 100% turning into that guy. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> and the context is something like, you know, I know like, well, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. I mean, like I get the impression that sometimes uh, the metal world could maybe be a little constricting as as far as the way you'd like to present yourself and stuff. Like if the if this part of you, you know, became so prevalent that you couldn't get away from it and it started finding its way in kind of kill switch stuff, is that something you think like that world would accept or is that something you need to like make a conscious effort to keep separate, like in your, you know, make ambient music, make solo stuff and Mm. then kill switch has its own, its own place. Yeah. I mean, if it were up to me completely, yes, I would let that bleed in because I, I listened to a ton of like pagan and Viking folky type stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I love, 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 love that stuff. And it does seep its way into, to metal. You know, it does, there's a lot more accepting of sort of the, the Viking esque type stuff, which is definitely part of my heritage as well. And it made its way lyrically into atonement. Like there's definitely some saga influenced stuff in there, but mm. I'm one of five guys and those other four guys drive the kill switch ship with a very steady, careful hand, mm. making sure that our music kind of maintains the sound and style, which to me is definitely constrictive and definitely can be very frustrating. But the humility that I, I try to carry with number one, I was out of this band for nine, 10 years. Right. And then number two, I'm, I'm one of the collective. So, you know, I have my way with melodies and my lyrics. Um, and that's as much as I'm able to really push with the kill switch thing, but who knows, who knows where time will take us, but yeah, sure. I'm grateful for times of grace and I'm grateful for my ambient project. And I have a punk band called the weapon, which is like, you know, yeah, I heard that stoke anarchist <laughs> kind of punk rock. So I need those things and I'm going to continue to do solo music. Even if it never sees the light of day, the fact I get to sit alone in my room and play piano and be sad and like, you know, contemplate songs of the the flight of the crow, like, you know, that type of stuff. (laughs) I need that, but I don't necessarily know if everyone needs to hear it unless it's good. So we'll see what happens. I think it's a fine balance of allowing yourself to be who you are and being cautious of your audience, you know? Yeah, sure. That's what I was about to say. I think like, you know, it's easy to it's easy to sit there and say that, you know, you need to stay true to an absolutely natural artistic process and what's really coming out of you. And there's obviously there's value to that. But like, you know, part of this is, um, I guess, like, for lack of a better word, a business. And no, like, yeah, no, and absolutely. if you like go ahead and have legions of kill switch engage fans, you know, taking in like a Cat Stevens style song yeah, could, not could be a problem. You not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you don't think Adam would be down with that? Absolutely not. Uh, now with Times of Grace, we could potentially right. pull it off, you know, which is the beauty of that band. It's diverse yeah. enough where that's acceptable. And um, yeah, I don't know, man. I think that's, it is a fine line between being completely free as an artist. And then the, you know, I want to continue to do this and make money and, you have to respect your audience and you do have to respect sort of the business side of it because it's not just you, it's your crew. Right. It's the people that make money off it. And I have had some very humbling moments where I did stupid things and I, you know, I party too much and my voice wasn't good and I had to cancel a show. I had to have throat surgery. All these things have like made me realize I've got to be careful. It's not just me. 
Like right. stop being a selfish prick. Like this is a business and people do rely on the money they make from touring to pay their mortgage. And we saw that during the pandemic. I mean, we talk about like the the tour bus stopping and then our crew being like, well, fuck man, how do we pay the bills now? And we had to apply right. for a loan and we took care of our crew. But like, there's a real moment where you're like, this isn't just you asshole. Like you're an artist. Yeah. You want to be free. You want to express, but there's a humility that goes into like when you're in a career driven band. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to keep that going for everybody. So for it's sure. a very tricky thing but when everything's firing in the right cylinders and you're happy enough to like i don't want to say compromise but just realize that your artistic vision isn't the main driving force there's four other dudes that are like nah dude that's cheesy nah dude we're not gonna do that right you just and if you just roll with it and you find your sort of i don't compromise i guess is the word i'm looking for and if it's okay with you if you're comfortable it, it it works and that's where kill switch is like they give me just enough to like okay yeah you can add these things and do that but Let's not get too crazy with this shit because it's kill switch. Sure, sure. Well, I've been a drummer in bands for like 25 years. So if you need any lessons in swallowing some shit, <laughs> you yeah. know, like I yeah. got you, I got you. Or, or lessons in how uh, another band member will mouth noises to you. Can you just do the blah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, sure. Yeah, that's a beat. <laughs> that's just funny. Well, actually, speaking of which, now... I, you know, this has happened to me in the past where I've had such like vivid dreams or memories at times that I thought it was real and it wasn't. Mm. So I'm not going to tell this story as gospel. I need you to confirm or deny it. But I remember seeing you at a show breaking down your drummer's kit. Yes. You did, right? Yeah, I, I um, definitely. I, yeah. I, always, I always pitch in. Um, you know, unless someone's talking to me and, you know, after the set and they come right up after me, cause I've been in enough bands where like, you know, I was out of kill switch for long enough to do a bunch of bands and none of those bands saw any sort of like, um, real success where, you know, I had to be carried off into a press tent or like a right. boss. No, there was none of that. So if a fan came up to me right after the set, we would talk. And if not, I'm, I'm turning around and I'm, I'm playing the part of like, I'm not going to be that dick lead singer. That's like, Oh, I don't do that. Right. I would always help out, whether it was Seamless or The Empire Shall Fall. Um, yeah, I pitch in. I mean, I'm punk. I grew up a punk rocker. There's no rock stars in this shit. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, you know, with Killswitch, I'm fortunate enough. We have people that we pay to do it. Sure. When, as a matter of fact, when I first first went on tour with um, Killswitch, was filling in for four dates when Howard was unable to do them. Okay. It's the first time I ever went on a tour bus, and oh. that first day uh, after the set. I they were loading out and I would just finish toweling off and I went to go help with the loadout. Right. And and I remember Josh was like, No, 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 no. What this is why you pay these people. No, no, yeah. this is diff this is different. You go have a beer and relax and hang out well, on Jesse, the Jesse, you have people for this now. Yes. Yeah. And I, I was legitimately it was weird. It took me a few yeah, days and I would I actually stand I would stand at the end of the trailer with, with my beer, just like, hey guys, like it was a good show. How are you guys doing? And they're just like, dude, you don't need to do this. Just go right. fucking hang out. It's fine. <laughs> That's too funny, man. But I mean, I guess, yeah, I, I had the same thing. It took me um, a bunch of like embarrassing moments to finally back down and be like, all right, I'll take a drum tech. That's cool. Yeah. Like, and then you realize you're just in the way because you're slow. Like, get the fuck. Yeah. Like, these, I was watching those guys move and they move. Our crew is like, they're badasses. I'm sure. At, yeah. at one point. In those early days, it was like, dude, you're just slowing us down. Just go get out of the way. 
<laughs> well, I appreciate it because I um I remember having that experience and I've definitely retold the story a number of times because you are literally the only one I've ever seen. I'm I'm being serious. Like in a successful band that's yep. to the point where they have some crew and have people helping, you are literally the only singer I've ever seen break down a drum set. So Respect to you forever. For oh, thanks, man. It's it's my 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 punk rock upbringing. You know, it's funny too, man, because it even it, it even ran so far as my punk rock guilt as Killswitch initially asked me to rejoin prior to you know when I sort of went in for the rehearsals uh, and auditions rather. Okay, and, and part of me not wanting to rejoin because it was my punk rock guilt. I'm like, I'm not going to sing somebody else's songs about heartache and. Right. Like shit right. I didn't write. Like this poser shit. No way. <laughs> right, right. And I remember going to my job in the bar and uh, the West Side when I, I was working as a bar back on the West Side of Manhattan. And uh, then the very next day after having that conversation, some kid comes in, orders a drink, and he's looking at me and he's like, Do I know you? He's like, Dude, you're Jesse f- that used to be in Kill Switch. What are you doing behind a bar? Wh- what are you doing, dude? And I'm like, Yeah. Fuck my life. And I remember sitting there going, do I just suck it up and like learn a few covers and and like rejoin this band, or do I sit here like continuing to clean spit out of people's glasses and like, come on, man? And yeah. I had a real struggle with my punk rock uh. guilt of like, am I being a sellout if I do this? And that's kind of sad and pathetic. But anyone who grew up in that scene, especially yeah. in, you know in the in the early nineties, mid nineties, before the internet, like that was some shit. Like if you yeah, yeah. you were on sellout material, if you were in a band that like played in front of 300 people and you did a promotion through Newberry comics or whatever, you were a fucking sellout. You're done. Yeah. (laughs) You were done. Canceled. And in my thirties, it was when I finally just got rid of it. I'm like, punk rock isn't about giving a shit what people think. Period. Yeah. 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 So funny how that just stuck with me though. I just, no, that's a really powerful moment because I can imagine it pretty vividly, you know, like, I mean, I, I almost go through this exercise for fun sometimes where, you know, I live out away from the city now too, just like you and I'll, you know, be at a playground talking to some other parent or something. And they're like, Oh, what do you do? I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm a musician. And like, literally I'd say nine times out of 10, the first response is like, Oh, you know, I'm friends with this guy, Greg, who like works the door at this place, this bar, like downtown It's really good. Like I could probably hook you up. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, you know, uh... like their initial thing is <laughs> yeah, always yeah. like, you're That's... like, a piece of shit musician and you probably <laughs> yeah. need help. I'm like, I'm like, you know, I paid for that car. I drove my kids here and like, <laughs> yes, some respect. Dude, that happens to me all the time. It's so funny. How do you play it off? I, I, you always keep it low or do you ever I, drop the bomb? I do drop the bomb sometimes. It depends. <laughs> I think it depends on how long I want to talk to that person. <laughs> right, so, right, right, right. So right. sometimes I'll just be like, right on, man. Let me take down the information and like, cool, cool. <laughs> all right, cool. Yeah. So, and I'll switch the conversation. Like, tell me more about you. Yeah, right. right. But if I'm in a state where like, you know, state of mind where I'm like, oh, I'm going to be here for a while. This person seems cool. I'm like, yeah, well, I kind of already do that all over the world. And like, what? Like, yeah, right. And I'll mention the name and. I love, love, love more than anything when I mention the name and there's just nothing. They're like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> and then when someone like goes, they start freaking out and then all of a sudden everyone at the bar or restaurant is like, and then they want pictures and then like, and some of those people want that shit and they kind of still don't know who you are. Right. It's just because they just they, know you're someone. Somebody. Yeah. And to me that my toes curl up. I'm like, this sucks. So I will tend to not talk about, 
Oops, excuse me. There's a burp. Um, I'll tend to not talk about it. I would rather be the guy that you think is a a low level musician struggling. Yeah, because I'm, I'm sure we'll have more in common to talk about than if exactly. you think I'm some kind of a rock star. Because I hate that shit. Uh huh. I, I I love that it it you know pays my bills and you know the people that I meet that are my fans are so sweet and I'm so grateful. But if I'm just around town, my friends here in Woodstock for the most part got to know me before that i really withheld right. that information because i just wanted you to know who i am mm-hmm. i don't like when i walk into a place and all our all eyes are on me and they're like hey that's the guy it's like fuck i'm not i mean i gotta be comfortable with it but if i can help it i'd rather not be that guy you dig on the garden cafe up there i am there probably three to four times a week fuck yeah <laughs> that's my spot i literally rocked that t-shirt like a kale power yes <laughs> so it's funny speaking of that place yeah um i'm just a normal person there everyone that works there just knows me as jesse the guy that loves the tempe blt you know tlt like that's my, do you, my sandwich. do you have to even order or is it like one yeah of those no deals? i do i do because sometimes okay. i switch it up okay. but the lady who runs that um when this, you know, when things died down and, and, and things opened up just this past week and a half, um, I do DJ on the side for fun. I love, you know, trip hop, EDM, reggae. So nice. I'll take gigs at local bars just to have fun and get a bar tab, a couple hundred yeah. bucks. And my girlfriend's a performer. She, she dances pole and aerial silks and she's like a acrobat. Cool. So we pitched to one of our favorite bars over here called Early Terrible. Um, to do a show when this is all over, let's do a show. Like I would oh, always, yeah. I would always be on. I'm like, let me DJ, she'll dance. So long story short, a winery had an opening and we, I DJed, she danced and people from the town saw us in our element. Like I had face paint yeah. on, we, we, we dressed apart. She's absolutely insane. I played a bunch of crazy drum and bass and EDM and we cool. got the party going, right? Yeah. So we're there uh, a couple days later at Garden Cafe and we walk in and we're sitting down. The owner walks over and she just walks to our table and staring at us and she smiles <laughs> and she goes, I saw you guys a couple nights ago and oh my God, how, first of all, how do you do that dance? You guys are so badass. That was so cool. I had no idea. I can't believe you're our neighbors. This is awesome. You guys rock. This is amazing. And she was so excited and we've known her for like two years. Yeah, and the fact yeah. that like we withheld and we just know her because, you know, I think it's good when you meet people and you have conversations, ask them about them. Don't yeah. be that guy that's like, well, I did this and I did that. People tend to like you a lot more if you just let them talk. That's right. There's a psychology behind that. And I've always carried that with me. If I like people and I want them to be my friend, I'm very conscious of like, you talk about you. And that's when my my good friends are like that. And you develop a different relationship. And there's sort of like a sociological element too, right? Where it's almost, it's like we can connect on your life. We can connect on the life here because we're like sharing it together yeah. But there's no way I can explain to you this other life without sounding like a fucking douchebag, right? Yes. Yes. Like it's yes, impossible. Yes. And then my my inclination in that situation is to complain about the things. Because that's what we do <laughs> right. when we get together, right. right? You oh my boss, my job. So I'm like, yeah, let me Oh, I got a and, middle seat yeah. on a, an economy all <laughs> yeah. the way to France. <laughs> totally They're like, You dude. went to France? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's one hundred percent that shit. Yeah. And then people look at you like Fuck you. Don't yeah, complain like, to me just, about dance no, shit. No, I just went to work the whole time you were in France, right? Like yeah. I've been in those moments at a at, you know, sharing a table with like six, seven people of my friends and everyone just kind of talking about their shit. And 
I've been caught in that moment where I'm complaining about something and the entire table is looking at me like, dude, really? Yeah, you think, you think, you think any of us are like, yeah, we can relate to what you just fucking said to <laughs> right, us. Right, right. <laughs> like, sorry, the monitor guy was never bad yeah. for me in Geneva. Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> asshole. Yeah. I, know. I was stuck in his fun. airport and had to drink like four drinks, not two. And I got yeah. oh, the fight. I had to pay way. $80 in yeah. scotch, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's fucking funny. Um, well, I've asked a bunch of people this question because, you know, I'm I'm from the same time as you and grew up a hardcore kid and watched, you know, what, you know, old school hardcore turn into new school hardcore, turn into yep. what people think is metalcore, you know. Yep. And at this point, I have no fucking idea what, what any of it is. But uh, agreed. The one thing that you're a unique part of that I've asked before is kind of this transition in hardcore from screaming to singing yeah and like to you who were like the early pioneers of kind of bringing that like melodic element into hardcore and who did it the best and like where do you think it stands kind of now yeah it's kind of all over the place because you know again i'm very much a mutt i would say my first um inkling of wanting to do any of that on my own came from uh faith no more's angel dust uh, the album always yeah. stuck out to me of like mike Patton does whatever he wants it does <laughs> right. you don't have sure to does. like be aggressive over this aggressive part you could do a weird gregorian <laughs> like and i remember thinking to myself like how do i incorporate some of that cool chanty stuff so my first band that sort of like made a cd and and we played shows and you know had like a somewhat of a contract in management was a band called Corinne. Right. And we played shows, you know, alongside like Overcast, Candiria, Integrity, oh, cool. VOD, you know. And I started to bring the chanty sort of like monk-esque thing into some of those songs. That's cool. And that came from that, but it also came from European melodic sort of death metal like oh. Edge of Sanity, Paradise Lost, um, My Dying Bride, where you had the growling and the singing or the female ethereal voice with right, the, you know right. monster vocals uh-huh. i loved all of that shit so huh. that, those are the early influences of me going like these guys are doing it this is really unique and when the melodic vocals kick in it gives you a different feeling yeah um so that as far as like outside influence there's that then you have the bad brains which brought melody in in like a weird crazy sure uh, the only way i could describe hr is just i mean he's just like a weird shaman you know i i his vocals were always baffling to me. Yeah. Uh, Chromags, there's just a little bit of melody in there. It's yelling, but it's got this melodic feel to it. Yeah, the scream has some melody, yeah. Yeah, so those are definitely, as far as hardcore goes, my early influences. Then you had Ignite. I think Ignite was the first mm. band where I was like, wow, this guy's belting out. He's just yeah. straight melodic, but... He was like operatic almost. It's still got power to it. Right. Um, and I remember hearing them for the first time and going, wow, what the fuck is this? Because mm-hmm. it's still very much hardcore. Yeah. Uh, so I would say those are probably the early ones. Uh, Sam Black Church was another big one for me too because he it was melodic, but it wasn't sappy. Right, right. Uh, and then I had my foot also into DC hardcore. I absolutely love bands like Jawbox and Hoover and Fugazi. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so I was pulling from everywhere. And I think the the proto emo, you know, the dirty word emo, <laughs> I was really into that shit, Sunny Day Real Estate. So th- that's kind of the world I was sitting in. I was looking at all these influences and going, how do I make it this mine? 
Right. Uh, and the early showings of that were as a band called Nothing Stays Gold, which my it's like a six song EP and my voice is just horribly off key. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. But that's me just dipping my foot in going, I want to mix these two elements together. How do I do it? Yeah. And I think that that one came off a little too emo, a little too sappy. And then by that time, that band folded up and, and called it a day was when I started to enter the Kill Switch years. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of naturally progressed from all those influences. I cherry picked from everything to sort of figure out where I wanted to go with it. Were there any other bands from like that scene in particular in the 90s or local scene that were doing it a way you liked? Uh, there was a band from Providence. It wasn't Temperance, was it? No, but we did play shows with Temperance. It's yeah. funny because... They were Providence, weren't they? Yeah, they're totally. Yeah. It's funny because to me, you know, and, and you'll probably get this reference being from that generation, I always saw them as sort of like the, the jockey sort of rich kids. Um, mm. Temperance to me always felt like the new school. Like I was still kind of in the quote unquote middle school of hardcore where to <laughs> me that to me that like turning your hat sideways and like... I don't know. Is this the, in Rhode Island? It was a very southern Rhode Island. Like you came from a rich family. Your parents drove an SUV. Where I was kind of more into the gritty, like Providence scene that was a little more punk rock. So to me, Temperance was like that's not my style. Oh, I, I love it. I, I love. I just picked up a a local scene division yeah. from like 1995. And awesome. my and so <laughs> both of our bands actually opened for Earth Crisis at Club right. Babyhead. Yeah, and uh, my band and their band, there was like a, a turf war. It was a stupid like they had a uh, a gang gang. I use the term very loosely. <laughs> they had a crew called Rise, Rhode Island Straight Edge, that were um, okay tied into Temperance and a couple other bands. And my band were just we're not into any of that shit. We didn't care. We just wanted to play music, and we were more into like death metal and like just we were different. Right, and they 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 had beef for some reason or another. And uh, yeah, I remember disappearing out the back door because like, I don't give a shit about Cruise. I don't give a shit about Straight Edge. Like, I did, not, not in a bad way, just like, you can do what you want to do. I'm not going to tell you how to live. But in Rhode Island at the time, there was definitely seen battles and seen weird shit. And Temperance were always on that side of the fence where I'm like, rich kids from down south, get out of here. Don't care. Right, right. I love how every scene had that because I definitely had it too, for sure. It's funny. Man. In retrospect, it's so laughable. Yeah, it's uh, silly. You know, silly. I would have mentioned this band from Boston, Kingpin, were oh, definitely, yeah. a, definitely a band that were straight up melody, um, Turning Point, Flagman. Sure. It was sort of that, I guess you'd call that the middle school of hardcore where it wasn't yeah. old school, it wasn't tough guy, and it wasn't completely like hats turned sideways and backpacks, backpacks right. and spray paint. Like it was still posy hardcore but had like a newer feel to it yeah, so yeah kingpin was, played a huge role i loved kingpin it's funny because hats turned sideways and backs back i mean that was just that's just the way you had to look in new jersey yeah oh dude jersey was a whole different breed <laughs> i remember traveling to go show, see shows in jersey and yeah jersey new york and even connecticut could be potentially dangerous like just yeah weird clicky yeah crews and shit yeah it's definitely people who had like the the crew element took precedence over the musical element of it, you know, and that's so that's, silly. I think where we really had the problem. So these days, like, uh, you know, now that it's been so established in hardcore and metal, like, has it gone too far? As far or as like, what? Like, are too many people doing it? Are people using it more in like, 
uh, instead of I'm breaking up a metal song is like, I'm trying to present to you like a pop chorus. Like, yes, 100%. So you think that's kind of become like an issue in metal a little? Yes, I do. And to me, I, I can tell if I like a song within like 20 to 30 minutes, you know, when the chorus kicks in and like you're doing, you're doing something obvious. I, there's a part of me that's like, I'm done. Right. Yeah. I, I listen, if you really love what you're doing and you have passion for it, I commend you. It doesn't mean I'm going to like it, you know? <laughs> right. And I think yeah. that the, the big thing about it is why are you doing it? You know? And I ask mm. this all the time because people always ask me, how do I start? How give me advice, like, advice, advice, advice. I'm like, look, man, I could give you all the advice in the world on how to do it, how to get management, all those things. But the bottom line is I ask people, why are you doing this? Why are you joining a band? Well, you know, I dig this, I dig that. And if those answers are like, you know, I love, you know, getting chicks. I love, you know, any of that shit. I'm like, those are the types of people and the types of bands that they're just putting on the costume to like play the role, to get popular, to do whatever. It's just a vehicle. Yeah. And those bands are going to fade away. They'll come and they'll go for the most part. Right. Uh, and those bands that do stay, that are of that ilk, they tend to change into bands that care more, yeah, uh, for the most part. So I, it's hard for me to like shoot anyone down because bands that may have started terrible with with the wrong reasons may eventually turn into a band that does well and and is creative and does push their style. That's so true. I think within the first couple of albums, if you haven't experimented and you're successful, you're probably going to stick to that. And if you're mm. not, and you do switch your styles. To me, those are oftentimes the more interesting bands, right. you know, bands that after their second or third record flip the script and you're like, yeah, this is, whoa, this is really fucking good. Uh, Radiohead comes to mind, you know, just they started out as sure. like, a, I would say when they first came on the scene, that song Creep, I'm like, this is kind of typical. They're just kind of like, I'm miserable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then they coming became off the, like the, the, the Britpop stuff. You're like, yeah, and you're like, yeah, yeah, this is, everyone's doing this shit blur, like right. eh, whatever. And then, you know, okay, computer and you're like, oh, this band's getting interesting. Yeah, you realize that's the most straightforward song they've ever written. Right. So yeah. you never know as far as the the genre of metalcore and people doing, you know, beat down breakdowns and like all that just like ugh, boring garbage. It, you got to start somewhere. So some some of those bands they suck and they're going to go away and some of them are going to morph into something amazing. So yeah. as long as your heart's in it, man, and you really care and you want to do it, I I say to people just go for it. If Love your that. heart's in it, do it. Fuck it. Yeah. Well, it's one thing I wanted to touch on, which I just found, you know, really um, cool, I guess, while I was doing research for this interview is the fact that you and Howard now have kind of this unique relationship considering the circumstances, I think. It's almost like like a father and a stepfather who are like cool and buddy-buddy during like a (laughs) drop-off, you know? (laughs) And... uh, I personally love that there isn't like acrimony in a relationship publicly and it makes the band a little more special to me. And I was kind of curious over the years, like how did you two pull that off? And like, what what's the nature of that relationship? Yeah. So when I initially um, joined Killswitch, uh, it was like, you know, and this is not something that's really aired out because they were very private with it. The split was not, um, everyone wasn't okay with it. It wasn't mm. like, Hey, everything's great. There was definitely a lot of like, I felt like the the new wife and they're still talking about their ex. Mm. It, it was like that for a while. A lot of mm. venting, a lot of stories, right. a lot of like, I had to figure out how to get in with these guys. Um, not just as a friend, but in a working relationship. 
and certain things that I would do could potentially trigger them because mm. they were so triggered by the lead singer syndrome type thing that was going right. on there. Um, and again, I'm careful with how I choose my words because they didn't air out their dirty laundry. Sure. So, you know, for me, Howard was sort of a dirty word um, f- amongst those guys. And then, you know, I was so trying so hard to fill these shoes and sort of be the, the everyman to the fans. And I just, I'm not in any way, shape or form the same singer as him. Like we mm. have completely different styles. Right. He's got a, a, a thicker vocal fold. So a deep, a deeper, more like soothing sound to his voice. that's a bit more operatic. And I just don't have that. I'm like rough around the edges and bruisey right. and, and kind of like Janis Joplin y, like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so there was a real learning curve for me, um, physically hmm. to learn how to embody his songs and make them sort of my own, right? Um, you know, physically as well as mentally, like, yeah, how do even I just sing performance wise? Yeah, right. How do I sing a song like End of Heartache, sure. a song that I would never write, right? And, totally and like, different key, like, yeah, yeah, and like even subject wise, like being so obvious of like, I've got a broken heart, you know, I think, right, yeah, I would, I would find yeah. a very more poetic way to say those words. And I think because it's written in a more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, people can understand and latch onto the words better. That's why that song became such a hit. It's written mm. simply. And I'm just not, I'm a complex dude. I come relatable. To a, I guess it's yeah. relatable. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a bit more like disheveled and I'll come to a song with like three pages of lyrics and Adam's like, you got to simplify this shit. <laughs> right. So that's been my struggle. But as time went on, and, you know, wounds started to mend with those guys and Howard started to get back on his feet and he started with his band, The Devil You Know, at the time. There was kind of a nod of like, oh, look, look at this guy. He's, he's trying again. Holy shit. Right. And then the friendship bonds between all those guys started to mend because it had okay. nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. Right, right. Yeah. So Howard and I were just sort of like, we knew each other in passing in the hardcore scene. We played shows together with his band Driven way okay. back. Right. I always knew him as like... That awesome black dude that sings amazing in that band driven into like the guy from Blood Has Been Shed. Yeah, right. That's like this badass. Badass. Yeah. Into like, yeah, I just know him in passing and he took my job. And then <laughs> right. eventually and then eventually it was like this guy who's making a comeback that my friends are now starting to mend their, uh, right. their wounds. And then it was eventually like, fuck, he's showing up at these festivals. He's standing side stage. I'm so nervous. I'm singing this song. Huh. That's his, and is he looking at me like this white boy's fucking shit up? Like I don't yeah. know how he was viewing me. Strange, yeah. yeah. Yes, it was very anxiety riven, and I just I was kind of uncomfortable around him. And then finally, it was just like, fuck this shit, man. This guy like created a legacy with these guys. Without him, I wouldn't even have a job. Mm. He, he he carried the torch. No pun intended with his new band, light the torch. But <laughs> he carried the torch. He made this band to a whole other level. Right. That I am certain I would not have done for various reasons. Hmm. So there's a respect there that I just had to like muster up and like kill my ego and kill my insecurity. And the guys were like, Howard's going to come to this next show and we want him to come backstage and talk and like, we want to just hang with him. Yeah. And I'm like, this is good medicine. Let's do this. So it just so happened that you were like, in that headspace that you were you were open to it as well. Yeah, you know, and also just because of the vibe and the conversations in, in, in camp. And, you know, I knew those guys were ready for it too. So I was like, well, it has nothing to do with me. So fuck me. Why would I say anything? Like, no, I don't want this. Like, right. get out of here. You think so there that, was any part of it that was like, when you first replaced him, you know, he was coming from sort of this position of power 
And then after a few years, you're it's kind of more coming from a position of like, oh, look at this guy, like trying to make his fans work again and like maybe a little more empathy. Yeah, absolutely. And I honestly didn't even think he would come back from what he was going through. I thought mm. he might be done. Wow. And the fact that he did and to hear his story, the one that's been told publicly and the one that I've heard from him personally, it's so inspiring. And I have so much respect for him. So how was that first that first moment when he came backstage? What was that like? It was well. Here's the thing. So he came in and just said hi beforehand, and I was like, I was definitely nervous. Um, but we went out there and played the show, and he was standing in Guitar World, you know, the side okay. of the stage to yeah. my right, and I could see him just in the shadows. He was making sure that the audience couldn't see him. Okay. Which I was like, I was like, dude, that's awesome. Because he easily could have yeah, peeked around the corner and people sure. would have freaked out. And then I would have right, been, shit, right. now I got to give him the microphone. He's got to do somewhere. I'm going to be yeah, an asshole. Right, right, he didn't do that at all that first time. That's cool. And then when I got off stage, he walked directly up to me, gave me a huge hug. And he said, you killed it, man. You sound great. That was Hell really yeah. good. Like wow. Very sincerely. And I was like, sure. I was moved by that. That's awesome. So he came up, he followed us up into the dressing room after and... It turned into a good six-hour hang. Wow! Of first of all, hitting it off with him amazingly because we are very similar, uh, and then him being very self-deprecating and apologizing in his own way huh. to the guys and making jokes about some of the flaws and some of the inc- incidences that went on that really bummed those dudes out. Wow! And he was just—he couldn't have been more humble and sweet. And from that point on, it was just like, "Oh, I see you. I see what's happening. This mm-hmm. is amazing." And, um, yeah, we, we kind of like partied while well, he, he doesn't drink anymore, but we kind of partied on the bus and, um, he put on some, some hip hop shit and I'm a huge old school hip hop head. And most of the guys in the bus and Killswitch are not really into hip hop at all. <laughs> right, right. And he put it on, on the bus and him and I were singing, rapping along and bumming everybody out on the bus. And I'm like, <laughs> this guy's my boy. Yes. <laughs> Fuck yeah. And then as the night wound down. He's like, hey, man, I got this new project. Devil You Know has, has been kind of fizzed out. I got this new project called Light the Torch. I want you to check out this song. I thought you might like it. And he, wow. put, his, he put his little earbuds on my head, and I went up to the driver's seat in the bus, closed the curtain, the door, and I sat and I listened to this song, and I, I was in tears because I was wow. so impressed by it. Cool. That first Light the Torch record to me is just, he's like, I'm back. And I remember walking up to him after and being like, dude, this sounds like if you were singing for the Deftones, this is fucking amazing. Holy yeah. shit. And then I got fucking really emotional. I was like, you know what? I really want to, and I had a few drinks too. I was like, I really want to tell you, <laughs> you're one of my greatest vocal teachers because I could never live up to what legacy you left behind. And it's been a point of insecurity for me. And, um, I, you know, I resented you a little bit for it because I'm like, this, why is this guy so good? Fuck him for being this good. I can't hold my own with him. And I, I said, I've been struggling for years with it. Right. And he's like, man, fuck you for saying that. When I, (laughs) he's like, when I joined this band, I had to live up to a lavage's breathing. I had to sing your songs and everyone was comparing me to you. He's like, I went through the same shit. So fuck you. And we gave each other a big hug and he's like, man, it's going to be cool. We move forward with our respective bands. And I was like, well, from now on, Whenever you're around, if we're sharing a festival and you feel up for it, you come on stage with us, man. Hell you yeah. sing songs with us. Let's do this. And I was like, as a matter of fact, I'm working on a song for the new record and I've got you in mind. Would you be willing to possibly do guest vocals? He's like, absolutely. Hell I was yeah. like, well, we need to move forward and let the fans know that this is 
water under the bridge and it's it's all about the legacy. It's not about egos. Because how many bands do you know where the singer quits or the singer leaves or gets kicked out? The new singer comes in and there's weird animosity. People talk shit. Every oh, yeah, band. forever. Yeah, like Ever. most. Most. And, and they decided early on they were not going to be that band. And then when he finally came back into the fold, I was like, let's one-up this. Let's not only not talk shit about each other, mm. let's mend it and bring him on stage and, you know, tour with them eventually, which yeah. before the pandemic, that was what we were doing. So um, hopefully, you know, well, no, not hopefully, we will eventually get that tour back together and we will bring Howard on stage to do a few songs. And I think that that, to me, is really just shows who Killswitch is and why yeah. I love those guys so much. Because it's we're not, you know, we don't just pretend to be funny, good-hearted people. We actually are. And it's like real brotherhood, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Family, yeah. To the point of like, I am no for sure those guys get super annoyed with me uh, because I'm <laughs> such an emotional little bitch sometimes. But yeah, uh, I hear you. that's the brotherhood, man. That's right. the beauty of it, you know. And even if we do get into a little bit of a, a fight or I annoy people, eventually the love trickles in via text and like people yeah. just... That we can't not stay annoyed with each other. There's just it's family. You're right. It's yeah, like, you don't you don't push out your annoying little brother. Yeah, he just keeps annoying you, right? Yeah. Well, no, you learn how to modify. I, you know, it is for me. It's like I just I learn how to use my words because I'll act out. I'm one of those people. I'll go hide in my bunk and fucking something will upset me. And I'm like, I'm not fucking talking about it. Ah, uh, right. And then eventually, you know, that one night where you know, they call me uncle that night when drunkle will come out and have a few drinks with everybody. Then I'll start venting. And they're like, dude, why don't you just say something like four days ago about this shit? Right. It's not right. that big of a deal. Right. Start being such right. an emo bitch about it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm, yeah. I'm a cancer sign. I'm an empath. I'm one of those sure. dudes. It's, just, it's really hard for me to like, not be a total like empaths, you know, sappy dudes. So. I hear you. Yeah. It's a learning yeah. curve. Well, it sounds like um, it's interesting is it sounds like your almost like personal arc is very connected to the kill switch one as far as like your own personal development goes. Well, I had to, man, when you're out on the road as much as we were when I first rejoined, like I, I had to like it's either that sink or swim attitude of like if I'm going to continue to do this and you know and not bitch out and quit the band again which i promise him i never would do ever again right i've got to learn how to work out my issues i've got to learn how to like figure out this situation and navigate it or it's going to continue to cause drama so it forces you to have a comfortable relationship with people you're spending all this time with yeah so it has it has i grew up with those guys early on and then i'm still continuing to grow up with them you know and mm. that's how a band should be if you want to like enjoy your career and not be one of those bands that gets separate tour buses because you can't stand each other. Right. Then you got to learn how to do it because we are band and crew in the same bus. There's no, yeah. there's no separation. If someone on the crew has an issue, it's everybody's issue. We don't do the whole hierarchy of like, oh, he's just a crew guy. Sure. If you're a part of our crew, you're in. And if you're a problem, we got to talk about it. And if yeah. you're doing good, we celebrate with you. It's so after, after coming, coming over those obstacles, you know, say there was like a younger band who was like, you know, coming up and you saw some of these like maybe problems developing and, and one of the members of the band came up to you and it was like, yo, like, advise me, like, what could we do? Like, what do you think is like a good step for a younger band to maybe um, avoid those pitfalls uh, the first time around? Communicate. So yeah. band meetings, as, as, as annoying as they are. Right. And in as much as like, 
I have a hard time with them sometimes too, like, cause I'm not a confrontational person, but mm. if you don't force yourself to do that, you're not going to grow. And there's always going to be dysfunction regardless. There's always going to be dysfunction in the band, but if it's a comfortable level of dysfunction that you can deal with and like navigate, you got to do it. I'd say the one, well, the few things that will kill a band is toxicity. So whether that's addiction or, you know, womanizing and like, you know, being secretive and lying, like mm. all those types of things can really pull a band down. Sure. And unless you've got that guy that's like, I'm a piece of shit and I'm not going to lie to you about it. And you're like, fine, go be a piece of shit right. over you're there. A piece of shit guy. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Right. But when you're a piece of shit and you pretend not to be a piece of shit. Yeah. That's, I think that's when it really can be a problem. And if your addiction is causing, you know, your performances to be fucked up. Those are the types of things you can't let stand. They can't. Mm. You can't, dude, because it's eventually going to explode in your face at right. some point. So communicate painfully. Communicate. Yeah. That's kind of part of your new MO, right? Like I saw in some of your videos that, you know, um, the social engagement and making the YouTube videos and the Instagrams is kind of like, it's kind of new for you to to open yourself up and and be into that kind of engagement. Like... Um, is it kind of the part and parcel that's, that's why you see the value in it is, um, is that some form of communication for yourself? Like it's actually personally cathartic or is it all for the the people tuning into it? I think it's both. And yeah. I think that that's a byproduct of, of this pandemic situation. Mm. I made a, so listen, I do not like social media for the most part. I'm uncomfortable with it. I'm a fairly, fairly private person when it comes to the deep stuff. Right. But I have these aha moments sometimes where I just, I want to tell somebody, I'm like, this is really valuable information for me. And I remember when I was going through the pandemic, it was the first month and a half month or so. I don't remember, but I'm like, I need to go on camera and talk to somebody about this. I can't, I'm, I'm feeling so isolated. I just need to say something. So I did it. And then a kind of light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, I got to just start engaging again. And I reignited my Twitter account and my Facebook page and I just started to become more available to people. And I think part of that was just a necessity for me to like just vent and talk and feel less alone. Mm. And then it eventually I saw the impact it was having, the messages that I was getting, the comments I was getting. And I'm like, oh, there's something to this. Mm. You know, I started talking about mental health years ago. Right. Uh, because it really helped me through navigate and continue to navigate my anxiety and depression and, uh, you know, uh, and any musician, you know, who can be honest has insecurity and like, sure. When when you air it out and you talk about it and you realize everybody's got a bit of that, it just feels like okay, yeah, I got this. I can I can figure this out. It's less doom and gloom and potentially less harmful, you know, because I think for me at a certain point in my life, talking about it and being transparent about it saved my life. Right, it really did wow. um, because. Uh, in those dark moments, I'm, you know, I would hear stories of other people going through dark moments and I'm like, fuck me. Like their lives are so much worse than mine. What, <laughs> what is my issue here? Yeah, why I, do I, I feel this way? I can despite, get out of this. Yeah, so right. yeah, it's a combination of everything, but now it, I just feel like it's part of who I am, you know, and with my new podcast, Soak the Fire, which is very much right. about yeah. all of that type of stuff. It's, it's really a part of who I am. It's something I enjoy to a degree. Because right. I I do know it's a positive thing that I can do for other people. So it's very reciprocal though, too. I'm not gonna lie, I get something out of it as well. Right. 
so it's it's just kind of a part of who I am that now part that I allowed myself to expose, and once it was exposed, I realized the importance of it and the necessity huh. of it. Is like a therapy or a kind of like Western practices part of your discipline at all? I have been to therapy. I, I haven't continued to go, but I do see a need for that for some mm. people. Um, and I think some people who are stubborn to it or like, oh, well, that's not for me. If you haven't tried it, you don't know. And I think with anything, if you're trying to navigate yourself, um, you should be open to all types of things. Yeah. Um, you know, I think another thing too is I think people are just so quick to take a pill and not do the work. <laughs> right. And, no shit. And I think that there's a lot of work you can do yeah. that either will go well with the pill or will eventually replace the pill. And on the and, other side, there's too many people uh, prescribing pills without demanding the work. Correct. So yeah. I think, you know, I talk about this a lot when I talk about mental health is moving physically. Like physically mm. moving is incredible for you. Exercise. Right. To me, bicycling, hiking, swimming in the summer, that shit helps so much. Sure. Especially with my anxiety, which my anxiety usually eventually triggers into depression. Right. So keeping my anxiety at bay is, is crucial. And a huge part of that is physically moving. Did you mention um, earlier something about uh, like doing some microdosing before? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I, was get, I was getting there. Yeah. At the beginning of our conversation, um, dealing with my anxiety. So yeah, I've been microdosing for going on like maybe six years now. Like psilocybin or? Yeah. Yeah. Small nice. amounts of psilocybin. And um, I've dabbled in other things, but for, for legal reasons and just to be careful because of our sure. crazy government, let's just keep it at mushrooms. But um, the bottom <laughs> line with that is, is really knowing what you're getting into, um, being wise about it, starting very small because everybody's different. Everyone reacts right, differently right, to this right. type of stuff. Or even like edible um, marijuana, depending on the strain, mm -hmm. the amount. Because, you know, I've had some really bad experiences with edible marijuana. So I'm yeah. very careful with the amount that I have. Mm -hmm. But, you know, psychedelics have never, um, you know, in my older years have never put me in a bad place if I'm microdosing. Small. We're talking like when I first started to dabble, like one sixteenth of what you would take to like trip, like small right, amounts. Right, right, right. And that kills my anxiety. Wow. It gives me a sense of joy. It 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 helps me be more artistic. I'm able to express myself more. I communicate better. Um, and this is not, you know, when and I'm sure anyone can look up the term and, and realize it's not you getting fucked up. You're not doing this to party. Yeah. You're you're doing this to sort of help maintain your mental health and for me, I've used it to be creative and write lyrics and, and um, you know, occasionally I, I do more because I like want to have fun out in nature or sure. if I'm going to go to fuck, you live in the Catskills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You let her rip every once in a while out there. So I know? do, I do. If I know I've got to, if I got, if I know I have a long day of hiking, I, I'll bring supplies with me so I can, you know, enjoy right. and like yeah. maybe, maybe dabble a little harder. But um, that has replaced medication for me. I don't take antidepressants. I don't take anti-anxieties. Wow. I'm not on any chemical. I have no chemical dependency. You know, minus, awesome. minus caffeine, which I absolutely love in the morning sometimes. Sure, but, um, yeah. <laughs> and the occasional drink, which I've moderated completely with that shit. Like, yeah. uh, alcohol used to be a problem for me. And I'm thankful that I was able to moderate and not go completely sober. Yeah. I, I admire the shit out of people who go sober. I just yeah. don't ever want to be that guy because I really enjoy a glass of wine with dinner. I really enjoy a sure. good, dark, smoky mess, calor rum after dinner. Like those little things. As long as I keep it to a couple of glasses and then I stop, I'm good. 
Yeah, I think us career musician types, I think we're, it's safe to give us a different baseline than the rest of the world. You know, it's like considering <laughs> where it could have gone. Yeah. You know, if, you're, if your baseline is like coffee, you know, a little bit of weed, a drink a couple days a week, like fine. Yeah. You know, it, it's better yes. than like the alternative, which, you know, you've seen like many of our colleagues. And I've been through. And, you I've know, been what, through. what people I, go through. So if that's yeah. your baseline, that's, that's fine. Yeah. It's like going, it's funny. We always have this joke, um, you know, Adam and Joel are infamous beer drinkers right. and, uh, you know, Joel going to the doctor and the doctor being like, well, how many beers do you think you have a week? Honestly. And right. Joel's like, uh, 200. Yeah, <laughs> and the right. doctor's like, what? what? Yeah. He's like, no, I'm a musician. It's kind of part of my job. What? Yeah. No, 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 no. But people don't realize it. You literally like get thrown booze and beer all the time and you, oh God, you yeah. can get caught up in that. Like, this is just my everyday thing. Yeah. At one point I was drinking a bottle of tequila a day, but I wasn't even getting fucking drunk. Right. Like crazy. And to me, I'm like, what's the problem? <laughs> right. What's going on here? Yeah. And my health started to decline rapidly. And sure. I'm like, oh, fuck, this is not, you know, you talk to people outside of the touring world and like, you're insane. You're going yeah. to die. Yeah. Uh, so I, I had to really, just for my health's sake and like, dude, nobody likes a fucking a chronic drunk unless they're like really fun and sweet. But That's if true. you really love that person, you got to at one point be like, dude, you got to slow down. You're, yeah. You're going to die. Your liver's going to give out. And I've it's got like an friends, age thing too, right? Like it is. It just, I've got friends who have been warned and they still don't stop. And you're like, yeah. you, you can't support it. It's like, oh, dude, let's go to the bar after. I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. No. It just gets more dangerous and also kind of like, it just gets uglier. It's like the things that were kind of uh, charming when you're like 28 and wasted yeah. are just not nearly as charming when you're 38 and wasted. No, right? no, it's sad really. But Yeah, um, it gets sadder. Yeah. Everybody's got a journey to go on, you know, and I think that um, I'm just grateful that um, my drug use um, and my my alcohol use have moderated to the point where, like, I'm not just a functioning addict. I'm actually moderate to the point where, like, I don't even consider myself to be in that category because I'm not getting fucked up. Right. I'm not losing control. I'm not numbing. I'm not running. I'm not using any of these things as a crutch. Uh, I'm I'm using, you know, psychedelics as a medicine. Uh, and I'm, I love to sip on alcohol occasionally as like a social, um, lubricant or a relaxer. Sure. You know? So I think it's a, a very adult way that I try to live these days. When, when you were going through that process, like, did you often, or did you at all have sort of like terrifying or alarming moments of clarity? Like after you stopped numbing? Uh, I wouldn't say terrifying, but definitely torturous. And um, mm. I think coming to terms with the fact that I hate confrontation and I did a lot of running from it. Mm. And because I run from it, I have I've have a problem of suppressing my emotions and suppressing my anger and frustration right. and being very much a yes person to a lot of people mm -hmm. to the point where I start to resent them. And then I eventually will explode and become right. sick It'll manifest in physically into me. Um, I'll become depressed. And then I'll just be at a state where like, how did I even get here? Right. So yeah. sort of like picking myself apart and being having a real self-awareness and being stone sober for a good three months, this pandemic, you know, my girlfriend and I both did a huge cleanse and a fast. And Oh, that's cool. 
Yeah, and then I just realized, wow, man, I'm fucking grumpy. I'm like more, <laughs> a lot more grumpy than I ever thought I was. And yeah, right. I almost felt like apologizing to everyone in my life because it just manifests and it's just part of my anxiety. And I realize right. anxiety, that's been the big, big thing for me is realizing how much anxiety affects a lot of people and they don't yeah. realize it's yes. anxiety. Yes. And a lot of people you think are just that angry dude He's probably, he or she is probably really anxious. Yeah. And yep. anxious triggers anger and outbursts. So now I can, I can smell an anxious person from a mile away because I've learned so much about it. Uh, and it's painful because it, you just have to see yourself in a different light. And I have, and it's something that I'm conscious of now. So I either prevent the, the situations from happening or as they're happening, I'm realizing it and, you know, to, to my girlfriend, right. to people who are close to me, I'm like, oh, I'm doing it, aren't I? You can clip it. it a little, yeah. Yeah. The self-awareness. So it's been very humbling. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, shocking or painful, but just like irritating. Like I'm I'm irritated at, <laughs> right. at who I've become um, because of my numbing and running. And I'm mm. really happy with the person I'm becoming now because I've faced it and, and sort of like still realize I'm a work in progress, you know? Sure. Well, that's lovely to hear. It's really nice. Um, it's nice to say and actually mean it too. It's yeah, crazy. It's awesome. Well, I have a little funny distraction here. So you, normally I do a segment of the show called mystery friend where I fish up an old friend of yours and get a story. Now this won't be a good mystery friend because it would be too obvious, but I wanted to fill you in on something. I don't even know, you know, about the beginning of kill switch. So I spoke early on with Carl Severson. Yeah. Owner of Ferret Records, very oh, old Carl. friend of mine. I mean, guy's known me since I was like 14 years old. Yeah, I mean, he is he is Jersey core to the bone, so yeah. Oh, sure. yeah. I mean, him and <laughs> him and Josh Grabell. Yes, yeah, another know, one. They, you know, they grew up together and like kind of, you know, I think in hindsight now we can see like how much of the, the scene, uh, you know, in, in this whole area, not even just Jersey, that those two kind of. Had Very, their hands yeah, in, Yeah, they're know? kingpins, dude. And they're Basically. great dudes. I love yeah, both those guys. I agree. So I was asking Carl some early stories about, you know, when, you know, signing Kill Switch to Ferret, hearing you for the first time. You know, apparently Mike had sent him demos before there were even vocals on it. Yeah. And, and Carl was like, this is great. Get a singer and we'll talk. You know, <laughs> I guess you were the answer to that. Um, but he said that when... We were first pushing the record. Remember how Hot Topic was like a big deal for a while. And mm -hmm. you were really trying to get your albums and shirts into Hot Topic because it was like the first, you know, major national brand that was kind of picking this stuff up. Yep. And apparently someone at Roadrunner had advised Carl, if you want Kill Switch and Hot Topic, you send this guy an extra large Los Angeles Lakers jersey and then wrap the kill switch CD in the one sheet inside of it. And this is the way you're going to get to hot topic. And apparently it worked and it was Carl and yours, both first national chain buy of like 15,000 records or something. That's hysterical. Yeah. That's so funny. Dude. So I didn't Carl know that. lubed them up, lubed them up with a Lakers Jersey. Apparently how funny is that? I mean, that's the way it is really. <laughs> if you think about the industry as a whole, 
there's a ton of lubing up that happens to this day to do anything. Oh, so it, much lubing. Because yeah. musicians are just bitches of the industry. We're, we're the whores. <laughs> and, and everybody else is our, our, pro, our pimps, man. I know this industry sucks so bad. That's hysterical, man. That's so funny. I didn't know that. I did not know that. No, let's talk more about the industry being pimps and whores. I'm in Sure. It. Let's get I, I could go. Off, I could go off, man. Don't get me fucking started, man. We're the court jesters. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> they make all the money. We get yeah. now. We get percentage of percentage of percentage of pennies for for our songs. Oh get yeah, the fuck out of here. Yeah, now we get to now we get to like sell our name, image, and likeness on like Cameo instead of getting album sales. Dude, or something, Cameo right? was a lifesaver for but me. But you're it's, loving it, right? It's I don't. Not- I, I, I wouldn't say I love it, but I like it. I like it because it's helped me connect with a lot of fans and it's, it's made me a decent amount of money, dude. Yeah. When, you know, cause look, people have these weird misconstrued notions of like rock star, quote unquote rock stars and people in music yeah. being just rich, you know, and I am yeah. not, I am so Oh my so God, people think rich. I'm loaded. Right, like, right. You know, I play drums, right? Like. So, so here, <laughs> you know, here's the deal, man. Like if you're not buying records, guess what? Royalties aren't. They're not really yeah. a big thing anymore. Right. So when I get my quarterly royalty thing, it, they're gone. By the time I get them, they're gone. They're paying right. credit card bills. They're paying whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when the, the money kind of ran dry during this pandemic, Cameo was really what I would literally be able to buy groceries with my Cameos. So okay, I, awesome. And when it first started, I was doing six, seven a day. And now I might do six, seven a week, but my price rate range has gone up because I, when I first started, it was cheap. And now it's like, it's a, de- it's a decent price. Right. But um, yeah, I made some decent money with it. I'm still making decent money with it. It's crazy. And I, I hated it at first because I was like, shit, man. I went from playing in front of thousands of people to like singing Johnny Happy Birthday. Like, fuck <laughs> happened to me? <laughs> right. And now I, I truly see, first of all, the, people will send me reaction videos or send me you know a couple paragraphs about what it did for that person uh, and like when i do them now i truly think of like and I, I think it shows in my messages that i do like i know this is going to make somebody happy or i know this is going to make somebody you know i mean i've been a part of like proposing to people which is so nuts to me that people wow. reach out, oh that's how i want to propose i'm like shit man me <laughs> come on but um <laughs> I've truly been a part of people's lives and I think it's yeah. really made my relationship with my fans that much deeper. That's awesome. It's it's made them more sort of um, passionate towards me and it's made me appreciate them even more because of that reciprocation of like, you're paying me, you know, 80 bucks or whatever to like give a three to four minute video that's specifically designed for that person that you want to get their attention or, or right. send them love. And that relationship has become a pretty beautiful thing. Yeah. That's awesome. That's nice to hear. So I heard you mention, you got to take me behind the curtain on something. Um, I heard you mention, you were talking about Motorhead in something. Might've been an Instagram post. I don't even remember. Yeah. Instagram post. Yep. Talking about Lemmy. But you said in quotes that Motorhead had no crowd sing along bullshit tracks. Right. Jesse, what's happening out there? <laughs> oh wow. I think you know. Um I've yeah, never but, used I certainly have never used this. I'm only assuming. Yeah. But what's going on out there? Take me behind the curtain. I mean, this has been happening for a long time, but um I remember first seeing it. I'm I'm so not naming names, uh, but I remember <laughs> first seeing it behind a drum set seeing a Pro Tools rig mm-hmm. that was open with a computer 
And I remember walking by during the sound check of a band that, you know, was headlining. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Why is there a recording program up in? Mm-hmm. And then I heard them press the space bar and it was like a guitar solo. And I was like, wow. what? Then I heard them press the space bar and it was the chorus of the song. <laughs> it's being sung. And I'm like, oh my fucking God, this is really happening. Mm. It opened my eyes. And then after that moment, I realized there's a lot of bands, a lot of bands who either no longer sing their choruses, like the melodic parts that are usually kind of shaky live right. and they sound perfect. Right. It's, it's because they're not singing them. They're lip syncing amazingly. And this is metal. This is full on metal. We're not talking about pop bands. We're talking about metal bands. Um, And it even got as bad as like, you know, the solos and then the crowd sing. There was one band that was sound checking crowd sing-alongs. And I remember being like, that's fucking cheating to a whole other level. Yeah. You're making your shit sound even better. And like people applauding and you're filtering it through. So they're literally putting a crowd group sing-along sample running through the speakers while they yes. play. Yes. For fuck's sake. And I remember seeing it and then seeing it work because the audience right. is natural. It's a, it's the herd mentality. Yeah. One person does it and you're like, oh, we we're all going to, this is the part we all sing along. And I just remember like thinking in the back of my head, well, first of all, there's a certain amount of brilliance to it, but there's also like, fuck you for doing that. Yeah. Because we're just, we're manufacturing this and like the amount of work, pain and suffering, literal blood, sweat and tears that I've had to navigate my voice mm-hmm. and to live a certain way to be able to produce somewhat of a semi in key tone means that I don't, I don't have a lot of fun on tour. I do a lot of sleeping. I do a lot of not talking. Right. Just all this shit that I have to do to like yeah. maintain my instrument with the extreme amount of singing and growling and screaming right, and sit, right, you know right. I'm doing. Sure. And then I'm seeing these bands and said singer of said band going out and going getting hammered and just doing blow and like doing all the shitty th- and the next day he sounds like a fucking songbird and I'm like you're not even fucking singing on stage anymore. Yeah. Fuck you. You're cheating the fans. And like the fans have no idea. They're just having fun with it. And it's like And they're cheating it just, you. It's kind of it like Yeah. I fuck I made me so annoyed and so angry. And now like it's become such a norm. The moment I see it, I roll my eyes. I'm like, all right, fair play, fine. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm not going to wow. fucking judge you for it. Um, Give me a percentage. Like, say you go to like, I don't know, fuck, like Nova Rock or something, and there's like eight bands on the main stage. What are we talking? Like half? I'd say, I'd say at least three or four of them are doing it. Fuck. Yeah. It's, you know what it reminds me of is like, is like what the clean baseball players were saying during the Barry Bonds Sammy Sosa era of baseball when they're like, they're like, it's so obvious they're doing it. And it's so obviously helping their performance. The people who want to stay clean are now suffering as a result. Absolutely. Because we can't keep up by doing this naturally. And you're going to force, you know, bands who want to do it naturally to have to like step up the, Hey, you're in festival land now. Now you need this stuff to survive. Yeah, and it makes the fans go, "Wow, this band sucks." You know, like they listen to them right. live. They're they're like, eh, they're flawed. It's like, dude, live performances are supposed to be a bit flawed. That's why they're called live performances. You're not always going to be on, and I think that's the magic of it too, right? I right. mean, yes. if you know, I've had nights off. I mean, I've had plenty of them, really, where my <laughs> voice is just not great, and instead of hiding it, I'm transparent with it. I'm like, hey guys, it's, I'm a little rough around the edges. I'm going to do my best, but during this part, let's all sing along. You know, yeah, we'll get you guys right. to live be a, music, right? Yeah, it we'll get you guys to be a part of it. 
And then like those shows are fucking magic. And people will be like, I remember that night you you're, you were off and you told us and we all helped out. Like, what a great moment that was. Like, that's the fucking magic you don't want to lose with live music and live performance. That's right. And then those days when you are triumphant and your voice sounds great or your instrument sounds great or we're all, we're all firing on all cylinders and there's no help from anybody except for your own skin and bones and soul. I I just, I adore that about music. I adore the flaws. I really do. Um. And I'm proud to say, you know, nothing I've ever done. We never do that shit ever, ever. I mean, the most we'll do is like, you know, an intro to a thing where it's obvious we're not playing it. We're standing there like, or coming on stage and it's the beginning of my curse, you know, like little things like that are cool. They make the show cool or or segue music. That's cool too. But when you're just straight up lip syncing on stage, I just don't, I don't get it, man. That's not why I got into this shit. And as no. a fan, if I knew a band that I loved was doing that, I would be so fucking bummed. I think I got a pitch for you, Jesse. How about we start a website? Kind of like a who's hot and who's not. <laughs> you know? And we really expose the bands playing clean. Oh, my God. Like, these guys are playing clean. Go see them. These guys are playing <laughs> dirty. They're on Imagine. steroids. You could you could make that a part-time job, dude. I really could, man. <laughs> I yeah, hope someone I, uh, listening can you can you urge like some nerdy kill switch fan out there to really really spearhead this project? I, I think you know, the I'm, world needs it. Yeah. I'm willing to bet there's probably somebody out there who's doing something similar to that already. Good, I'll support it. Let me know what your but yeah. When the next time you go see your fundraiser pages, I'll, yeah, I'll the, add. the next time you go see your favorite band, if you're standing close enough, watch the singer's mouth. Right. watch very closely or if they're they're doing this like huddle over like oh, i'm really emotional thing and you can't see my face oh, right 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 be careful oh because, my body's contracting yeah. because i'm so uh, emotional yeah i'm so yeah. into this but you can't see i'm actually just fucking uh, lip syncing wow yeah i saw a lot of it i still see a lot of it and i'm like it bothers me but it bothers me less now because it's become so commonplace well thanks for taking me behind the curtain because honestly i've seen it but i've only seen it for like for pop. Yeah, it's funny too. You don't really see it in punk rock either because I've been to a ton of punk shows and we've played festivals where we share the stage with punk bands. And I know people that tour in punk bands. And that's the beauty of, I would say, a good chunk of punk rock is it's real. It's real. That's the essence yeah. of it. Where with metal, it's always been about showmanship. Mm. And, you know, certain metal bands, it's, you know, the whole Spinal Tap thing, like sometimes way over the top. That's kind of part of it. Right. And unfortunately, the that's become another part of it. The, hmm. the desire and the need to be perfect live and the audience's expectations being so much higher now because of that manufactured perfection. And that's the same thing with albums. You know, you could say the same thing with albums, man. Like, that's a hard style, man. You can do so much in the studio that makes right. you sound perfect. Right. And then you go to d- duplicate that live and you're like, fuck, that's really hard to do every night. God right. damn it. Right. I'm, right. I'm right. definitely... um part of that crowd because we want to put out records as good as possible. So I'll do like 30 takes of this thing to make it sound fucking great. Right. And then trying to duplicate that live every night. I'm like, I fucking hate myself for doing that on the record. God damn it. Sure. Right. Yeah. But that's slightly different than faking it, you know? Yes. I would say, I would say it's all part of the, uh, the uh, momentum towards, you know, ones and zeros and digital things taking over and people expecting things to be perfect now. Right, right. It's, it, it's exhausting for me. 
Well, you kind of like you you laid it out there before when you said that it it kind of it becomes the norm, unfortunately, you know. And yeah, like, the younger generation doesn't know any better. They're just right. like, they don't. Everything they sounds don't know. perfect all the time. I'm. I rec- a few years back, I spent some time working with. Uh, I shall not name names, but a very well known metal uh, engineer, and I realized like he they should have just used a drum machine because. Yeah. Yep. The drummer was like, he would say, okay, this is the verse and I'm going to, I'm just going to loop it. And he would just loop the verse until the producer told him to stop. Then they would grab two bars and he would then those edit those two bars to perfection on the grid. Yep. And say, and then he'd go, okay, this is the uh, transition. This is the chorus. And so he was just using these tiny little pieces of the live performance, editing them and I'm yeah. also like, you know, I'm also a big advocate of like t- studio and live are two different things. Like you have to do things in the studio in order to give like, you know, the the sort of the the feel of a live performance. So like studio tricks, I'm all good with that, but I think my problem was I th- was that like I knew that these bands had a lot of fans out there who would be mortified to find out mm-hmm. that the band had used a drum machine, but right. essentially they were doing exactly the same thing as you. And they would have yeah. it probably would have taken half the time to just. It would have taken the half the time. Machine. It would have sounded yeah. probably better. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and and it's sound replacing too, which is a huge thing with drums. Right. Well, that's right. they were yeah, also this, doing that on top of yeah. it. So it's like the yeah. snare you used isn't good enough, and so we're just going to put this. It's like you're taking the human element out of it completely. Yeah, and yeah. you know, with with metal, people don't bat an eye because metal's supposed to be so tight and precise. But you know, I listen to old school like '90s death metal, and there's flaws everywhere, and mm-hmm. I fucking love that shit. Yeah. yeah, but I'm a punk man. I legitimately love listening to old punk rock where the the drum machine sounds like a cardboard box being kicked down the street. Like <laughs> that shit to me gets me going because it's right. like, yeah, that's that's fucking raw shit right there. Right. And I think it, I guess it depends on the type of music, but I look at early like early metal shit, and I I don't know, man, like Death and Metallica, and if that shit was perfect, yeah, it would have knocked your face off. But the, there's a magic to the flaws, yeah, yeah. And there's I think it also movement. makes there's some movement, there's some minutia there, you know. Yeah, and then you know you hear a, a crack of a voice because of emotion, or you hear somebody. Right slightly off key going sliding into key like and you get chills like all that shit to me is magic and if you take the magic out of it it's just it's again the ones and zeros man it's just it's a bummer well the good thing about it is it leaves open the opportunity for somebody to come along and do that and make the mistakes and leave them in the record and all of a sudden people are like why does this sound different than every other metal record you know so it's true and then those people who do play incredible live without all that shit, those are the types of people that I admire so much because I know there's there's a good chunk of those musicians where I'll watch every night on tour. I'm like, how do you do this every night and sound so fucking good? Who's like a who's like a singer out there that that you know doesn't sample and you just listen to and you're like, fuck, like that's just so good. There's so many, dude. Jeez. Yeah. Um, I would say that off the top of my head, the two that have I've had moments where I look at them like, how is uh, uh, Michael from Opeth? Uh, okay. I remember seeing yeah. Opeth do, I've seen them so many times, but his transition from growling to singing and then his pitch is just 
amazing. Mm. And I saw him on an off night where he's like, oh, tonight I'm not doing so good. I'm going to do the best I can. And yeah. and I remember like halfway through it, so like, fuck you. You're not off. <laughs> Jesus Christ is so good. And then like, you know, Chino's had his, uh, Chino from the Deftones has had his moments right. in his career where he, you know, would drink too much and he'd sound off. But like, I've seen him on some nights where he does these high melodic vocals and these high screams and they're just pitch perfect. And he's yeah. just, he's hanging out. He's just hanging out doing his thing and he's going nuts on stage. Right. And he's not, he's not missing a beat. And I'm like, the, people just, some just have the natural ability. Yeah. And he's kind of got that like mellow vibe about it too, right? Where it's yeah. Like, he just makes it look easy. Yeah. And, uh, it makes it look for, easy. For me, it's uh, if you were to see us on tour, I would say, you know, say it was a, a four week tour, you're going to get about seven or eight performances out of me that are great. And the rest, there's going to be holes. Right. <laughs> just, I'm just not that good. I, you know, and I don't, and I don't make any bones about it because everybody's different, man. Everybody's different. You, you might go enjoy the show and not see a flaw, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, I fucked that part up. Oh, I fucked that part up. Oh, Joel, uh, Adam's too drunk tonight. He fucked that part up. Right, right. We're just not that band. We're not perfect. And you know what? We're never going to be perfect. And I've just hey. learned to, I've just learned to accept it. Yeah. Listen, man, you go and see Bob Dylan. Some nights it's, un, <laughs> some nights it's unlistenable. <laughs> yeah. Some nights it's the greatest show you ever seen. But that's yeah. why you go, you know? Yeah. That's why you buy the tickets. So you can actually have some excitement in your life. We need that. Yeah. We need that in the world. And it well, makes the it makes the good good nights that much better, and then the bad nights like meh. Okay, next show. That's what I'm saying. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Well, Jesse, that was awesome, man. Thanks so much for, oh, for coming you, on man. with us and giving us all this time. That was rad. Yeah, you know, this is the kind of shit that I revel in because it just feels like I'm hanging out with dudes having a conversation. That's the best. I love yeah. this shit. Yeah, it's so much better than just like tell me about the new record. <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, I always put those questions in just in but case. It's, natu it's natural, though. You it's, know, not, it's not so, forced. Some of those, uh, listen, some people aren't easy to talk to either. So you kind of have, true. you know, sometimes you have to be. So how did you do this? Because they don't have anything else to say. And I also, that, I saw how much you mentioned Bloodlet in press, oh, which is love. like, thank you for preaching the gospel to the younger generation of bloodlet you know this is this is a good closing uh way to like promote this band because they they were the first band that i would follow around and annoy nice. you know i i would follow them to connecticut i would follow them to upstate new york you know as this young kid i'm like ah oh, and they were they had a moment too where i the, you know they were doing the seven inches they hadn't even put out a cd yet I remember I used to bug the shit out of Scott, the, the lead singer. Yeah, I used yeah. to write him fan letters, dude. And uh, <laughs> I remember sitting next to him at the living room in Providence. And I was like, so how you guys doing? Like, just trying to be, you know, not a total fanboy. And he's like, oh, we're thinking about signing to Victory Records. And I was like, no, no, don't. <laughs> don't, dude. You guys, don't sell, don't sell out. Don't sell out, yeah, man. Yeah. Fuck. So I had one of those moments with those guys and then they signed a victory and blew the fuck up and yeah, right. well, blew up in our scene, but in our scene. Yeah. They're a band that just gets so overlooked. Yeah. When you talk about modern metal or modern music, they were the first band to do the slow, yes. chug, chuggy sort of like stoner hardcore. Yes. And I remember like, they took like that neurosis thing, like into hardcore kind of. Yeah. And yeah. to this day for my, for my sort of, for my money, they were one of the better bands out of that whole, like, whatever was happening with hardcore and, and becoming metallic and different. They were doing something so different from yep. everybody else. Yep. 
And, you know, those first couple records, um, you know, was it, I don't even know how to pronounce that one. And Theogen, right? That one. And then the, the eclectic with all this, the right, seven inches, right. masterpieces, yeah, absolute masterpiece. Beautiful. So fucking good. Man. I still oh. listen to them. I do. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dude. And it's funny. Cause I'll, I'll put it on. So I'll, every once in a while I DJ like a metal hardcore thing on the road. And I take pride in playing bands like that or Rorschach or Dead yeah, Guy. Like sure. The bands that I, I know kick-started and changed the whole thing. And I'll play them for our audience, you know, who come to an after party and I'll DJ. And every single time I play Bloodlet, people run up to the booth and like, what was that? Yeah, nice. I'm like, I'm like Bloodlet, dude, fucking get on that shit. <laughs> but yo, respect. I'm so glad that you're, you're passing it on. It's nice to hear. Yeah, yeah and the same breath, Integrity. A uh, dead right. guy, Rorschach, sure. kiss a goodbye. Mm. All those bands, uh, you couldn't talk about modern hardcore or even modern metal without them. They changed That's everything. Hundred percent, right. love it. All right, Jesse. Well, have a great rest of the day. Hope you enjoy the forest. Seems like a nice day out. Oh yeah, I'm gonna go jump in the stream, man. And oh. Hopefully, avoid all the bears out there. We'll see what happens. Man, I love that someone somewhere is going to listen to Bloodlet for the first time after this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, he made me happy listing off those bands that he said he DJs at his shows, especially Dead Guy. Oh, yeah. That was a, I mean, that was a New Jersey band. They were on Eerie, very, right? Uh, they, maybe eventually. They did, they did go to Victory. And then a couple of the guys moved to Seattle and they turned into Kiss It Goodbye. But it's fairly well established, you know, especially by people like Ben Weinman, like Dillinger Escape Plan, like Botch. You know, a lot of those bands just like don't exist without that guy, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I told the story recently. One of the first club shows I ever got to play was in 1995 opening for Dead Guy at the Down Under in New Brunswick. Sweet. And uh and that was the show where I wore such big pants, my big skater pants at the time. <laughs> I started the concert. My pants went over my kick drum mallet, uh, disallowing me to strike <laughs> the head because it was in my jeans. And then in an effort to kick it away, half of my drum set like fell off the stage and had to stop. This is literally like the first song of the first <laughs> real club show I ever played. So, you know, and I uh, still got to make music a living. Lesson out there for you kids, you know? Make your mistakes early on. That's the lesson. Yeah. Don't let your chubby, <laughs> awkward 14-year-old moments stop you from your dream, you know? <laughs> exactly. Dream big. Well, yeah. that's that's shows, you know, that's the pros. The pros keep going, man. They puke on their sleeve and keep going. That's right. Hashtag strive for greatness. <laughs> but that was awesome talking to Jesse. That was a super comfortable conversation. Just like felt like we were in, uh, in the back of his house in Woodstock, like over a fire, just chilling. Yeah. Well, it's funny for me to hear him talk about all these like Providence venues that, you know, I played like a generation prior, like right. Babyhead and Lupos and I think he even mentioned like maybe living room. I can't remember, but he did mention living room, but so you knew this club. I, I had heard in other interviews, he was talking about this club baby head. That was a, pretty, yeah. that was like what the CBs of Providence kind of sort of. Yeah. It was kind of like, what was the guy's name that booked it? It was a cool guy that, uh, 
booked a lot of bands. But yeah, we used to go up there all the time and play Babyhead. In fact, the Goops first record, the Blackout record, the photo on the on the cover is is taken at Club Babyhead at like oh, no a, shit. a weekend of fucking debauchery. Um, Love that. We used to go up there and play with Boss Fuel, friends of ours. And uh, yeah, we'd have these fucking wild weekends. Yeah, Providence is a pretty wild town. Yeah, it's fun. It's, a, for sure. it's an interesting place. It's like a weird melting pot of different things. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. It's got yeah. like strong blue collar yes. and then all those fucking students. It's And yeah. then that old, like the old down Providence Italian thing. Like yeah. they got all that mafia Big. shit there too. Buddy Cianci. Dude, that's a whole story. Yeah. The Cianci years. Yeah. Um, I only know it from from Family Guy. Uh, it's all, it, dude, I, I just, I read the book a year, a couple of years ago. And because uh, I've, I mean, I experienced some of it firsthand. What's the, what's the clip? What's the Cliff's notes? He was just like a crazy yeah, mayor. Dude, he basically like, he, he essentially like kidnapped the guy that he thought was screwing around with his wife with like the chief of police. <laughs> kidnapped okay. him and tortured him with a cigar. What? Didn't, didn't go to jail for that. He eventually went to jail, uh, like everybody, for like tax evasion or something. Wow. And then started his reelection campaign while he was still in prison. Yes. And came out and then using mob money, completely revamped Providence, like the downtown. Oh. Like when I was there, the downtown from like five o'clock Friday until 7 a.m. on Monday was like, it was like the living dead. There was oh nothing God. there. Nobody. Yeah. There was no traffic. There was like three bars that were open. Shit. Like you just, you, there was nothing there. You didn't go down there. It was dead quiet. Yeah. Um, then uh. he really revamped that whole downtown and made it sort of like very vibrant. So I, I mean, who knows? That might have happened anyways. But he's. It's a weird, it's a crazy story, but yeah. See, I hear stories like that, and you know, sometimes I, mean, I get so tired of America and the way we do things. <laughs> then I hear stories like that, and I'm like, you know what? I love this country. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I've maybe said this before, but Rhode Island is like Rhode Island is like a rogue state, and it always has been. Like Rhode right. Island was, you know, like a haven for pirates up until <laughs> right. like yeah, yeah. Past, past, they didn't want to join. They didn't want to join the union. They didn't want to be part of the United States because they were like, they were really, they were true independents. And they, yeah. just, um, but they also were like, they were the New England sort of headquarters of the um, the Underground Railroad. Oh, yeah. They were, I mean. In a lot of ways, Rhode Island kind of really represents like the spirit of America in sort of its most like, not debaucherous, but sort of its sort of extreme, like, you know, like personal freedoms and things like that. And, uh, respect it's, 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 yeah. I mean, when I was there, dude, it was still the wild west, like the eighties in, in Rhode Island, like you couldn't park your car on the street overnight. Right. Oh, but there was no excuse why they didn't say, Oh, we have to do street cleaning. They just was like, there's no parking on the streets. At the same time, the mob owned like 60% of all the parking garages in the city. (laughs) But that's just so obvious. The best part about it was that they didn't like the government didn't even feel they needed to like make an excuse that there was going to be street cleaning or whatever. It's just like no parking on the streets overnight. Are you going to like, why? 
Because I told you so. It's so exactly. It's Because <laughs> that's fucking why. Now go to the garage. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love it. So good. I. Uh, it's funny, too, because even, even I started playing the living room. That was probably my first, like, Providence venue I became, uh, you know, tight with. Yeah. And I, I probably played there the first time in, like, 07, 2007. Yeah. And still... There's nothing to eat around there. There's nothing to like you can't walk around when you're <laughs> no. hanging out the living room. Like there's nothing going on. Like yeah. still a little crazy. I actually uh I actually hit someone in the face with a drumstick at that venue. Whoa. Yeah, I made a mistake. It was a small show. Gaslight, I think, was playing with fake problems, and there was maybe seven or eight people in the front, most of which I knew, and one kid was using his phone. This is pre-iPhone, so it's like still when I noticed. Right. And, you know, we just finished a song, and I'm going to fuck with him a little bit, so I whip a stick to the front <laughs> of the stage to kind of like knock his phone out of his hand. And what do I do but go about four feet to the left and uh. just crack this woman, Sophia, I know, <laughs> in the face <laughs> with a drumstick, just smonch. <laughs> And I'm like, of course, I immediately get up. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, are you okay? I'm so sorry. She took it like a champ, luckily. Uh, And now, uh, ancillary story, Sophia is the uh, half owner of the Tasty in Philadelphia with Kay Hiltz. Wow. Yeah. So she survived and thrived, luckily, after our little incident. I'm going to tell you the best. I'm going to be really quick here. I'm not going to stretch this out. But here's the best living room story that I sure you want to do this at an outro. It's it's yeah. Well, I'll do it. It's very quick. Okay. So the guy, I think it was Randy Hine, was the name of the owner. Funny guy, little sort of roly poly. Anyways, this was really early days. The Ramones are playing at the living room. Whoa! And I think it's either before or after the show. They're hanging out in the dressing room, and Randy's like back there trying to bro down with the Ramones, and they're like, Randy. Get, can you get us some more beer? Like they they give they hand him the pitch. He's like, sure, sure. He keeps talking. Somebody asks him a second time, "Hey, we really could use some more beer." Randy like goes to the bathroom or something. He's talking. He comes back. He forgot to get the pitcher of the beer. Like Joey hands him a full pitcher and says, "Hey, Randy, you want some beer?" And Randy takes the pitcher and realizes it's piss. Oh no! And says, "Let me get you guys that pitcher of beer." <laughs> Wow. So he'd been pissing in the empty pitcher? Yeah, they'd asked him several times to fill the pitcher, and when he yeah. when he failed, they finally filled it themselves while he was out of the dressing room. Wow. All right. That's my, that's my That's my living room story. That was before my time, but I heard that's it from somebody that worked there. So That's a good one. Anyway, let's do the socials here. We got Jesse's. Got a lot of them. Um, you can catch up with him at Jesse underscore D underscore Leach. Kill Switch Engage, those are both Instagram. Uh, his podcast, Stoke the Fire, is pretty awesome, and you should check that out. Uh, catch up with him at I Against I on Twitter, and of course, KS Official. If you haven't listened to Kill Switch Engage, do that. Yeah, and, and it's cool. The Times of Grey stuff is like a nice little break. It's definitely a different style, a little slower and oh, a little... Yeah. A little broodier. So, like, if you like Jesse and you like what he's doing, uh, 
You'll definitely like this group. Dude, I'm going to go listen to his ambient shit like right now. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear the fucking Catskills record. I want to hear what kind of what ambient record. I know. That dude I know. Let's hit the band camp. Let's go. All right. We'll see you All next right. week, everybody. See Thanks ya. a lot. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.